you're listening to the Philip Robertson Property Podcast. And welcome everybody to, would you believe it, episode 30. And I love the name of this topic, by the way, financial facilitation is the new buzzword. Okay, let's rock and roll here now. My guest today is the Senior Advisor at Wealth HQ, and for the past 20 plus years, he's worked with some very, very large accounting firms and other corporates, and is now shaking things up with his own advisory firm. He's absolutely, I can say without a word of a lie, he's super passionate about getting clients in control of their money and implementing smart, smart, I can't even get the words out, smart strategies to get them ahead and feeling money secure and absolutely excited about their financial future. Now, he covers all aspects of investing. We haven't been down this path before, so I'm really excited about today, as I always am. So he covers all aspects of investing and super, superannuation, that is, and specialises in self-managed superannuation funds, affectionately known as SMSFs. Now, from what he tells me, he goes about things a little out of the traditional old school approach. I do like people that do things against the grain. And I'm certainly keen to hear about how he's been helping his clients on that. And it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the Philip Robertson Property Podcast, Peter Handberg. Hey, Peter. Great to have you here. Good to be here, Phil. Thanks for having me along. Absolutely. Always. Now, Peter, you know me well enough by now, mate. I am not <laughs> going to muck around here. Let's dive straight in and right. let's get into it. Okay. You ready for this one? It's the elephant in the room. Belts on. Belts on. Lock it in. <clears throat> the Royal Commission report mm-hmm. from Justice Hayne. Now, two of the big recommendations from that report was, number one, the cessation of trailing comms, trailing commissions, 4FPs, financial planners, and ongoing advice fees. Where there was an ongoing fee arrangement, A, between a planner and client, so that these must now be reviewed and renewed by the client on an annual basis. So what say you on these points? Well, the Royal Commission was was the um, dose of salts that the uh, banking industry needed to have. So um, it, I, I see it as a great thing. It hasn't impacted me personally. I was already operating in the way that they were hoping for. Um, but I think it's, it's a good way to start, Phil, because what it does is it clears up a, a few misunderstandings about what it's all about. Because this, this notion of a financial planner, I mean, ideally and in theory, it's a, it's a good idea. Someone that knows something maybe more than the client comes along, gives them some advice to help them get along their way. So great in principle. But there's been a great divide over the years, Phil, in that um, a lot of these alleged or so-called financial planners um, were more or less just product pushers from some of the big institutions like the banks and so on. And the poor guys, you know, bless their souls, they, they turned up each week and they had the Monday morning meeting where they were told they had some targets and they had to sell X amount of products for the bank and so on and they just went out and hit the uh, the client lists and did what they could. So um, what it's done is take away all the incentive for financial advisors to push their own agenda and genuinely look out for the clients and push what's best for them. So it's this whole what they call bid or best interest duty and that can only be a really good thing for the clients. Yeah, absolutely. And now, right, as of 1 January this year, I know that the mortgage industry is also following suit from the financial planning industry because they've got their own now bid, best interest duty. So it'd be fair to say the shake-up has certainly seen a whole new commitment to clients' best interests. Yeah, totally. 
Um, look, I, I see it in principle, it's been the best thing that could ever happen because we just need to make it clear for the clients out there, the mums and dads of Australia, that if they're going to sit in front of someone and get financial advice or guidance on anything in that area, they want to know that that person is genuinely looking out for their best interest and not pushing their own barrow. So the, the, the Hain Royal Commission has done that in spades. It's great. And one of the best things they did was get rid of commissions. So basically, it, it's like you coming to me, Phil, and saying, hey, what should I invest in? And, and in the old days, these guys used to pick whatever paid them the biggest and best commission. So we've never taken commissions and it's now been illegal for a couple of years now. So people are just charging a fee for service, say, well, Phil, you know what? I am on your side. I'm, I want to work out what's best for you and your, your family. And it makes no difference to me. I'm completely agnostic as to whether you go down path A or path B from a product perspective. It's more strategic these days. So the, the products, what you end up investing in or using for your super or your insurance cover you get, that's kind of secondary to the whole bigger picture. Like what, what sort of framework would get you in a better position? Let's work out what that looks like in a theory, a theoretical or strategic perspective. And then we can go shopping for what the best uh, solutions are to fill those, those needs that you have. Yeah, I think it's a. It makes absolutely perfect sense. It very much, I would say, parallels the way we go about our business. I mean, I was one of those guys selling properties to people off the plan and getting these wonderful commissions, and there's no doubt you had your favourites. But at the end of the day, doing what we do now here as a buyer's agent, like you use, I use your term agnostic. I just want the. To, reflect the strategy and then we'll line up a property that meets the the client's brief. Now, when we were hoeing in the, uh, we'll call it the green room, hoeing into the croissants and coffee, I wish, by the way, Mm -hmm. and you telling me you refer to yourself as somewhat different from, let's say, the norm of financial planning, you call yourself a financial facilitator rather than a, let's call it a traditional financial planner. Now, there is a distinction. Can you share with me, tell our audience what you see as the difference? Yeah, look, it, it is just a subtle uh, change of words, but to me it makes a big difference. Uh, the old school approach is that a financial advisor or financial planner is quite prescriptive and says, Phil, based on what you told me, I've written this uh, really thick uh, strategy document on, on what thou shalt do to get ahead. And there's a leap of faith for the, the client that says, all right, well, I'm going to trust or this person's been referred to me, so I'm going to take for granted that Peter knows his stuff and he's acting in my best interest, I'll do as I'm told. Whereas I want to, rather than be the prescriptive thou shalt do it this way person, I'd rather be more of an educator and say, look, I, I want to facilitate your best outcome. So what I want to do is furnish like the buffet table of choice for you so that between the two of us we can work out what's best for you. So I, I've kind of always pitched that um, Wealth HQ is like the, the headquarters for getting the money thing sorted. And and the reason I'm passionate about it, Phil, is as you, you know yourself, the thing is two-thirds of us are either stressed or concerned about our finances. And, and the thing is that money really does matter. It determines how we live and how stressed we do or don't feel. And it determines what sort of options we have now and in the future. So we're all about helping people get to, back in control of their, their finances and build themselves a vision with smart strategies and a long-term plan to help them achieve what's best for them to get their financial and life goals. And you know what I love most about it, Phil? The best thing is that when you're feeling good about your finances, the ripple effect flows through to all other areas of your life. It helps your career, your relationships, how you're feeling, your overall health and well-being. It is absolutely so worth it. 100% agree there. I've been very stressed in the past (laughs) and right now I find that life is very different when you don't have financial pressures. Totally. Massive, big difference. Yeah. So... Let me ask you what I think is probably an obvious question, Peter, and that's, well, 
why would someone seek out and go and see a financial planner or, in your case, a financial facilitator? Well, it's, it's all about going back to what I said a minute ago, having the buffet table of choice. Um, most people are blissfully unaware of uh, what their options are. And uh, I think there, um, and maybe before the, the Royal Commission that we had, there was this misconception that financial advisors weren't necessarily in their, uh, going to act in their best interest, that they were just pushing a product from under that bank's banner. Um, and that you had to be rich to need financial advice. But I'm absolutely now working in a space where I'm helping people get on the journey, not the people who are already there or have been have done their journey and they've got plenty to look after. I want to make the decisions that I know firsthand make a massive difference to where you're going to get to. Yeah, I think that's great and I do love the way you talk about the buffet of choice. I think one of the big challenges is people don't know what they don't know. Correct. And you're right. Gosh, I certainly remember those days. I mean, you'd even sense it in going into a bank. I know in banks they were under pressure to push uh, how many offset accounts they were offering. Not that that's necessarily financial planning, but but similar sort of mentality or psychology. Mm. At the end of the day, you know, you can have any product you want as long as it's black, you know, like in the words of uh, Henry Ford, the Model T Ford. Now, we know in Australia we talk a, a lot about the great Australian dream. Everyone's dream was to own a house. Now, it's my understanding, though, as a financial planner, you can't recommend, quote unquote, a specific property. So how do you deal with this given that there's such a big emphasis on Aussies wanting to invest in property as an asset class? Yeah, well, again, back to financial facilitation, it's it's all about context, Phil, and it's about putting the pieces of a puzzle together. So I've strongly advocated, and, and this is one of the discussions you and I have had offline many times, that Clients need to have a professional SWAT team, if you like, um, be in, in their corner, helping them sort things out. So, you know, for an investment to be successful, it needs two things, basically. Firstly and foremost, in its own right, it needs to be a really good quality investment. It needs to perform as well, if not better than you expect. And that's why you need other experts in the team. So if if 20 steps down the line, we determine that a, a, a property is a good investment for someone, that's where I would hand it over to someone that is a specialist in that field. But secondly, and this is where I come into it, um, almost as importantly, it needs to be a, appropriate to the person's goals, their time frame, their current situation from both a financial and lifestyle perspective. They might be about to lose a job, get married, have a kid, whatever it might be. It needs to be held in the right structure. Uh, from a tax and protection point of view, and it needs to be within what I describe as their appetite for risk. Uh, it's all well and good to get, embark on a journey or an adventure uh, in investments, but if you're not sleeping well at night or sweating bricks along the journey, it's not fun. So it, it's got to fit the mould. Yeah, I reckon that's absolutely spot on. Now, you and I know how passionate you are about what you do, and I love that energy you bring. So as a what I would call you a proactive financial facilitator, I've got the term, <laughs> how do you work with a client given that they're wanting to build wealth and create a nice cash flow for their retirement? Yeah, well, look, even to sort of stick to the, a bit of a property angle initially, and there are other things I'd love to go into, but um, traditionally when it comes to property, most people think immediately of bricks and mortar or the residential property down the street. Um, but traditionally, everyone's got super and the way that they have an exposure to property in those areas are through what we call REITs or real estate investment trusts. And this is, this is where mums and dads or anyone can invest in large scale properties such as office buildings, shopping centres, hospitals, aged care facilities. And we know a lot of those are doing really well at the moment. And there's also things like infrastructure funds. And these are the sort of things that um, 
uh, keep society running, whether it's um, uh, things like electricity networks, renewable energy, pipelines, toll roads, um, the sort of the essential infrastructure that we need to have um, that keeps things ticking and they have a bit of a monopolistic character to them. They don't have much in the way of um, uh, competitors, could be things like airports or seaports, and they are doing really well in terms of offering a really good, steady, ongoing income and they're fairly defensive. They don't seem to go down that much. Um, so there are plenty of different ways you can get into the property market, but I, th I think your um, sort of area that you specialise in is more about direct property ownership and that's sort of things like um, residential property or commercial property and they have some huge advantages and that's what I'd love to sort of talk about in terms of how we can make a difference to people's um, uh, ongoing financial well-being. They've got some – people love, you know, the residential property down the street, Phil, as you know. I mean, first and foremost, it's direct and tangible. You can drive past it, you can touch it and if you're handy on the tools, you can even um, add a bit of value to it. You can keep, the, keep it neat and tidy, you can fix up the bathroom, whatever it might be you've got a huge array of choice. I mean, how many houses are there? Um, and as we've seen over the last, well, probably forever, but certainly in the last 20 years, supply and demand's pretty much always been in their favour. The prices are going up beautifully. But the big one, and this is where we can really help if it's right for someone, is the leverage effect. Um, so, you know, I, I talk in the context that let's say you had $1,000, let's make it a bit more realistic. You've got $100,000 to invest. You, If you invest in real estate investment trusts through your super fund or otherwise, you're probably just going to go on a one-to-one -one basis and use $100,000 to buy $100,000 of investment in a, a real estate investment trust. And typically, great outcomes, really good quality investments. You pick the right ones that do super well, all good. But if you go out and buy a residential property, there's not many $100,000 houses around villas, you know, unless you want to tell me something I don't know. Well, I, I think you might share with us something <laughs> you might uh, – we'll get to that a little all bit right. later. I don't want to spoil it, but all you've right. got a little story Spoiler to share. Spoiler alert. Spoiler okay. alert. Um, but yeah, so if you if you want to buy a residential property, you're looking at five six hundred thousand dollars. So you use your hundred thousand dollars to go out there and use leverage to buy something bigger. So obviously it comes hand in hand with a loan, and you've got to pay that back. But typically the income you make from rental, as you know, and the um, the appreciation of the of the asset going up makes it more than worthwhile. So there's plenty of ways that we can help. So you know, let, let me. So that was a bit of a meander there, Phil. But let's get back to your question. You, you wanted to know specifically how I can make a difference um, in people's lives. For me, it's all about that engagement. Um, my role is to have clients genuinely excited about what's possible. You know, most of us live in the mire of day-to-day -day subsistence. We're blissfully unaware of uh, where the last of our money goes. Uh, we're unaware of how we can make simple but super effective changes to optimise our super, um, how we can manage our cash and other ways that are really going to help our financial well-being. But more importantly, we're, we're unaware of the fabulous strategies and opportunities that are out there that can make a significant difference to, to your ongoing wealth. Well, one of the things I know you've and I've spoken about, in fact, when we caught up last week for lunch, we talked about your property strategy document. Mm -hmm. So can you share with our listeners what that document's all about and how it works and how it serves clients? Yeah, well, as we've just gone over, there are lots of different avenues you can take. And I think most people are aware that investing in property is a fantastic way to build wealth. But we're all inherently concerned about making a mistake. Um, so we want two things. We want to not make a mistake and we do want to get it right. So there's two parts to that puzzle. Um, so 
most people just don't know where to start. They say, yep, I've heard, I've stood, stood around enough barbecues to know that I need to get into property. But I, I, And what's triggered me in the last couple of months, Phil, is I've been lucky enough to have a couple of really progressive sort of younger people walk into my office and say, hey, look, I finally landed a decent job. I've sort of had my days in nightclubs and bars. I'd like to get serious about life. I've got a bit saved up. Want to get onto the property bandwagon. Where do I start? And I've suggested to them ultimately, as you've touched on, Phil, I can't say you need to go out and buy number 10 Smith Street. That's the property to buy. Don't Not not the expert and it's not my job to help that, that, that area. But what I can say to them is, well, let's get a robust roadmap together for you so that you're doing it in the context of an overall approach that's going to work out for you. So, you know, what do you, what's your ambition? Is it to build wealth? Is it to get some income? Is it to provide for your family? Whatever it might be. And then you can run through an entire list. And this is what you and I have been working on. And I think it's going to be really exciting what we can do uh, for, for clients in terms of giving them uh, that peace of mind that, yeah, everything, all these pieces of the puzzle fall into an overall st- uh, strategy or structure. And, you know, so looking at things like, well, you know, what's, what sort of strategy style am I going to take? Is this just a passive thing? I like to buy one or two properties or am I aggressively going for it? Every last red cent I can pull together, I'm going to tip into property. Um, you know, and am I convinced it's property and not shares? You know, do I have that conviction? Because I only want you to go down that path if you believe in it. Um, so we, we sort of test you on that, that we, you agree that's the way to go. Is it going to fit in around your lifestyle? I, I don't want you sitting in the dark and eating baked beans for the next 20 years while you build your wealth. I mean, you don't want to starve on the way to the feast. Absolutely agree. It's got to be, it's got to be practical as well. Totally. Yeah. So there's all these other considerations you've got to take into mind. What, what's your budget? What's your cash flow? Um, do you want to take uh, consider a rent vesting strategy? What sort of debt strategies have you got? Do you, are you going to try and keep debt as high as you can because it's tax effective for you? Or do you just, like all of us, have an aversion of debt? We want to... Um, do to take the slow road to China and, and get there slow and steady. Um, and then, so there's all these strategic things and that's my job to help people build that framework. So they walk out of the office and say, yeah, okay, I'm ready to go because I can see how it all gels, it all makes sense. I've got a 20-year plan. I know how I'm getting in, how I manage the journey, how I get out, how I manage debt at the end. Um, and it's all within my bandwidth. I can handle it. I can smile at night when I put my head on my pillow. Don't have to stress. If someone calls me up and says, hey, I'm getting married in Bali in November, need you to be there, no problem. You can. It fits in, in the cash flow. So they're all the things that I do. And then I would defer to someone like you, Phil, and say, well, then you need to have an acquisition strategy. I mean, are you going to go residential or commercial? Are you going to go metro or regional? Are you going to go New South or Victoria? Are you going to look at inner city, uh, inner suburbs or outer suburbs, house and land or apartment, all these sorts of things. And, um, and you know, there's plenty of success stories out there. And I think by and large, if you, if you get involved, you, you're going to do okay. But heavens to Betsy, wouldn't you rather something that just absolutely flies or it's rock solid and you're not going to sweat over it rather than being swept up in, in the hype of all these seminars we see on the TV or whatever it might be, trying to scoop you into something, buying one of their, their properties off their, their lot. Yes, I've certainly uh, seen plenty of those, I can assure you, and uh, I've stood in those rooms as the mortgage broker in my previous life and uh, I've seen some wonderful outcomes but some very disappointing ones for people. Oh, totally. Peter, some of the common pitfalls and mistakes that you found that consumers make, can you you just touch on some for us? Yeah, sure. I think... um most of the pitfalls that people make, um, it keeps coming back to my big mantra and that is whatever you do, don't do nothing. So most people just don't ever get around to having that basic discussion of, you know, how do we go about getting ahead? So getting clients into that mindset to get ahead and getting them 
to want the best, best possible outcomes possible and wanting the right advice to get there. So they've got their focus, they've got the drive to make it happen. That's the main thing because most of us, are, and I don't mean this to be critical, but most of us are apathetic. And I don't know whether it just comes out of blissful ignorance, but probably more importantly, life just gets in the way. Just don't get a chance to. I mean, if we all had a week blocked out to do nothing better than to get our ducks in a row, we'd all be flying. But, you know, it just goes on the never-never. So consequently, what happens in that is that people just mismanage their money. Most people don't know where it's going. You know, and I, I have this ongoing situation, Phil, and it's, it's almost, well, it would be funny if it wasn't sad, where I sit down in front of Mr. and Mrs. Smith or a young couple and I say, what do you earn and what does the other one earn? And they say, oh, well, I earn 100 grand and the other one earns 80 grand. And I'm doing some quick maths in my head thinking, well, they're, they're sort of netting somewhere around $140,000 a year. And, and I say to them, so, you know, what's, what's your cost of living? What are you spending your money on? They start adding things up, you know, the mortgage and they've got a bit of rent or whatever it might be. Don't forget Foxtel and Netflix and, you know, they add it all up. Oh, I don't know, we're probably spending about, you know, 70 grand a year. And so I then look at them and say, right, so you netted 140, you spent 70. So you saved 70 grand last year, didn't you? And you should watch the blood drain from their face. And you know what? If nothing else, Phil, if I can help people just sort that out, they go, hell, how did that happen? Have I got a leaky bucket? I just want to take control of my money. So that's the biggest pitfall because that, that's the lubricant that makes everything happen. Um, the second one is, is just being a little bit um, in the dark as to um, what's happening in their world. They're paying excessive fees or they're not minimising their tax. And the last one is that they, a lot of people just take the lazy approach to being sitting in the default investment option in their super or they never get around to looking at what the options are. So they're, they're the issues that people face. Yeah, I love that and I think... Uh taking imperfect action is better than taking no action. Correct. Absolutely. Now, Peter, our listeners today, can you give us some examples, because I'm sure you've got plenty of them, <laughs> where you've been able to create really good financial outcomes for some of your clients? Yeah. Um, well, obviously my job is to find out. Uh, I need you to come in and sit down and help me paint a picture of where you're at. And then it's my job to chew on the end of a pencil and try and work out, well, how can I really make your world a better place? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, let's see if we can break this, this down into two parts. And the first one I want to do is have you feeling good and excited about the fact that you've reached out to get some good advice. So I'm looking at some quick wins for you. So how do we reduce fees and how do we save some tax so that you had some, a quick win and you've covered my fee without even you know blinking. And it's amazing. I have consistently saved people five to eight grand a year in tax without even sort of going too hard. Um, and then it's all about Performance enhancement. Well, what sort of? Where do you want to get to? What What do we need to make that happen? Do you want to get into property? Do you want to do shares? Do you want Do you want to do gearing? Whatever it might be. But let me show you all the options that are on the buffet table, and you can read from the menu. Choose what suits you, and collaboratively, we're going to facilitate you the best plan that's going to get you to where you want to be. And what I'm doing for people is saying, rather than you taking this big leap of faith, Phil, and and just assuming that if you pay me a sizable fee and I give you this statement of advice that's 60 to 80 pages long, that it's going to all work out, and yep, it does, but that's a hell of a leap of faith for most people that haven't considered financial advice before. So I just do this interim thing, say let's paint a before and after picture. Based on what you've told me about where you're at, if this is where you're at, This is you're going to retire at age 50, 60, 70, whatever it might be, and you'll have X amount of dollars. But if we were to do this, 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 and this, then your projection model goes up here and people say, wow, that makes a massive difference. And, and I have regularly done an, um, projection modeling for people where they, they're on track to retire with, say, a million dollars, but with a little bit of help, they're going to retire with 1.6, 1.8 million. So it's 800 grand in retirement. And think of the differences that can make to your retirement, sitting at the, the right end of the plane, traveling more, helping your kids out, um, 
donating to a cause, whatever it is that inspires you to lead the better life, that's what I want to do for people. Oh, I love it. Peter, if you, I always like to reflect, let's say. So if you had your 20 plus years over again, yeah, what are some of the things that you would either do or perhaps do differently given the chance? You're talking about my personal life or my my career? Oh, let's my just career. professional, my man. Okay, I was going to say we haven't got all afternoon. All right, no, let's no. Just... We, we need to break it down into parts A and B at least. All right. Okay, so um, what would I do differently? Look, if, if I had my time over again, I would simplify things. And that, this is the, the golden patch I've just landed on in the last few years that I, I always felt this need, maybe it was just an a initial lack of confidence or whatever, that as a financial advisor, and it is a complex world, the... Gosh, the, the, the legislation behind super, for example, is hundreds and hundreds of pages thick. And there's so many things you can do. I felt this need to just overwhelm clients with everything that was possible, the technical discourse behind it all, and, and prove to them that I, I knew my stuff. Um, whereas I've had this epiphany now where I kind of think of myself almost like a car mechanic, Phil, where, you know, you, you drop your car off for service, you, you turn up at five o'clock at the end of the day, you want to know two things. Is my car fixed? How much do I owe you? Now, rarely is ever a mechanic going to drag, grab you by the ear, drag you out to the back of the workshop, pop the bonnet and say, hey, look, we had to replace your alternator and we looked at the Bosch one and the Repco one, but we went with the Repco one for the blah, 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 blah. And people don't want, some people do, but most people don't want that. So what would I have done differently? I would keep it simple, the old KISS strategy, um, because I want to reach out to more people to make a meaningful impact rather than helping the high-touch, high high-complex stuff. Let's get out there. I mean, 80% of us aren't using financial advice. I want to reach those people and get them a better life. The other one I'd probably do, being half a nerd, Phil, I'd, I'd use technology better. Okay. Well, I mean, you've got plenty of technology around you these days, so there's no <laughs> excuse there, no. Peter. Now, Determining what type of property asset's going to tick the boxes for a client, is that as really as a result of you using your property strategy document? Yeah. that be your main tool? Well, we go back to um, what came out of the, well, I've been doing it all my, my career, but um, the, the Hain Royal Commission was all about introducing this thing called BID, Best Interest Duty for Clients. And we have to prove in this document and, and make it clear to the client, how are we making your world a better place for this advice? And so the starting point for everyone in, in, in making um, you know, a property asset or any other strategy that we do better for someone, Phil, is making sure it fits with your goals. Tell me about where you're at. Where do you want to be? So I, I need to know what's your comfort zone. What, um, where, how do you want to go about things? And and then to to give people those wins, you've got to make sure that it's backed by a solid strategy and it's got statistical evidence of solid and replicable performance. And that's what I love about your approach is that you, you're a working a walking encyclopedia and you live and breathe data. And and you know because I think most of us have acknowledged we don't own a crystal ball. And there's always that disclaimer that you have to live by, and that is that past performance isn't always a reliable predictor of future performance. But what else have you got to go on? Let's use some evidence and some foresight, some wisdom, some strategy, some analysis. And that's the stuff that you and I do behind the background to then present to a client and say, we've thought it through. Here's a strategy. Let me explain to you how it works so that you also go, ah, oh, makes perfect sense. That sits well with me. Let's do it. Yep, love it, absolutely. Now, one of the great Australian mysteries, I reckon, to many of us, is super, superannuation. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be fair to say majority of Australians have got their money tied up in super in a standard industry fund. But there are going to be people where it's appropriate to consider rolling their super into a self-managed super fund. So for those that don't know much about this area, yep. and I think that would be many, 
Can you share with our audience, as you see it, the positives and negatives, Peter, of having your own self-managed super fund or what is the abbreviation or rather the acronym, an SMSF? Yeah, totally. Well, I'm, um, you know, this, one of my specialties is self-managed super fund and I genuinely think that self-managed super funds are the best thing since sliced bread. As I said before, the, the rule book behind superannuation is, as, you know, it's as big as the, the yellow pages. It's huge. But industry funds, they're trying to cater to many and varied people, hundreds of thousands of members. So they used a very whittled down or cut down version of the legislation. They're trying to be all things to all people. And, and I say this in an affectionate way, they're cheap and cheerful. And you know what, for the bulk of the population, it suits them perfectly. So I am a big fan of industry funds, but if you really want to leverage super and make it work for you in the best way possible, then a self-managed super fund is awesome. But first and foremost, Phil, unless you've got a good reason to use a self-managed super fund, wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Uh, I don't know how much time you've got, but I've got a you know, few advantages of them and the disadvantages to sort of clarify where they're at. Well, why don't you give us some of them? All right. Well, look, the, the, the answer is actually in the name, self-managed super fund. So it's basically saying you're taking control of it. Um, and that's, that's both the advantage and the disadvantage, to be honest, if we're keeping it simple. So if, if you have your own super fund, you have complete choice of what you invest in. So you've got um, complete control of what you invest in and when you invest in it. You've got complete choice. You can invest in anything. So if you invest in Australian super, which I'm a big fan of and I recommend for many of my clients, um, it, that you can only pretty much, just, and I'm, it's not quite this simple, but typically you, you choose the balanced fund or the growth fund or the conservative fund based on your appetite for risk. But it could be, Phil, that you happen to be the world's expert on Renaissance artwork. Is that true, by chance? Uh, well, I did go to the Louvre in France, but it's probably as close as I got. <laughs> Righto. But let's pretend for a minute you were the world's expert on Renaissance artwork or Grange Hermitage wine or vintage cars. You've got a GTHO Falcon in the garage, whatever it might be. If you genuinely think that's a good investment, there is no reason you can't hold that in a self-managed super fund. So... Self-managed super funds give you a lot more control and choice of things. It can save you money, um, particularly when you start to accumulate a bit of wealth. Um, it's, it can be more cost-effective than even the industry funds. But, and this is where I, I guess I start by dispelling what super is all about. Superannuation in its own right, Phil, is not an investment. It is merely a tax environment. So if you and I sit here together and have a coffee and we work out, well, XYZ shares are the best thing in the world to invest in right now. We should be doing that. So we decide we're going to go out and sell everything and buy XYZ shares. You've got a choice. You can either own it in your own name or you can own it in, own it in super. Let's say it goes up by 20% a year. Fabulous return. You're going to get the same 20% return whether you own it in your own name or in a super fund. But if you own it in your own name, you're going to pay tax on it at your marginal rate. And for most of it, it's somewhere about a third and a dollar. So whatever you earn, you're going to lose about a third of it. You put in a super fund, the most you're going to lose is 15%, which is less than half. And if you're heading towards 60 or older for you know the second half of your life for 30, 40 years, it's completely tax-free. So all I say to people is, okay, you've decided that these XYZ shares are the best thing since sliced bread. Would you like to pay tax on them or not pay tax on them? So super is just an investment framework to hold things in. So that's one of the, the big advantages is the tax savings. 
Um, you can also do some pretty neat things like you can make one fund for your whole family. You can have your wife in there. You can have your kids in there. You can have up to four people. They were toying with making it six, but at the moment it's four and I think that's about right. But you can pull all your money together and you can start to invest in bigger and better things. You can save costs, economy of scale. So there's plenty of things you can do. And the other thing you can do in self-managed super fund, which we'll probably touch on soon, Phil, is you can borrow money in a self-managed super fund to go out and buy things that you couldn't other, the fund couldn't otherwise afford. So they're all the advantages. So on, on the face of it, you'd say, yep, form an orderly queue. Everyone should have a self-managed super fund. But it's not for everyone because a lot of people are quite happy to leave their investments in the hands of other experts, keep it cheerful. I just want the growth fund or the balance fund. That'll see me out. Don't have the time, inclination to get involved. And that's where the disadvantages come in. So if you don't have much super, SMSF funds can be reasonably expensive to start up and to run. Um, and there is that the self-managed pit. You, it's your responsibility. Um, now, typically, most people employ a good accountant and a good financial advisor to support them along the journey. But ultimately, the buck stops with you. If things go pear-shaped, you know, obviously the accountant and the financial advisor will get a smack over the head, but um, it's, it's you that's going to suffer the penalty. So there is those dis disadvantages there. And it's time-consuming. You've got to commit to it. But you, most people are happy to do it because they can see why they're doing it. So no problem. Yep. Okay. So a couple, couple of points there. Mm -hmm. Is there a trigger balance, as in how much you think you've got in an industry fund, that would make it worthwhile considering rolling that over into a self-managed super fund? Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of contention over this. Um, and now the, the rules suggest you can start a self-managed super fund with a dollar. So there's no minimum. So there's nothing stopping you doing it. And if you decide from the offset that based on the, the way I want to work forward and the strategies I've got in mind, a self-managed super fund is what I need. So you can start it with any amount of uh, money. But I think people are looking at it. So it's got to be purpose-driven first and foremost. So that's got to be your highest priority. If you need one, get one. If you don't, stay away. So, but then people say, well, you know, just so I can get my head around it, what sort of money do I need to have in there to make it at least cost effective? Because some people have a self-managed super fund and they don't have anything unusual in there. They could have done the exact same thing with Australian super or any one of a hundred other options. Um, so that number is typically between 200 and 400,000 that you get the break even. Um, so if you've got more than 400,000, typically it will be cheap for you to have your own super fund. Okay. And what about to set them up and also the the ongoing running cost of a self-managed? Um, if you want to take uh, things in your own hands and just run your own strategy, then you just need to turn up to um, either a, a superannuation support service or an accountant and they typically will set one up for you from anywhere from $1,800 to $2,500 to get you up and running. And then they're probably going to charge you anywhere from $1,200 to $2,000 a year to manage the accounts within it, to file your tax returns, to do an audit uh, as required, um, pay the, the administration fee to ASIC. So, you know, let's let's call it two grand-ish to set it up and 1800 a year ongoing, which if, if you look at your existing super fund, if you're with Vic Super, Aussie Super, whatever, then you're paying those sorts of fees anyway. Yep, yep. What about some examples? Can you dive in and give us some examples of where having a self-managed super fund could be really beneficial for someone. Yeah, well, again, it comes back to that purpose. And if you've decided that um, it suits you to invest in direct property, whether it's residential or commercial for that matter, um, then, and, and you decide, well, I, I like the advantages of having it in super, so uh, I don't I want to pay less tax on it. I want it to be protected from any sort of um, uh, legal or bankruptcy issues that I may, or well, hopefully never come across, but might come to you. So, 
Um, one of the key areas where a self-managed super fund is, is fabulous is to own direct property. And there are, there's a couple of really solid strategies for people that own their own business, for example. If you're a sparky or a dentist or a lawyer or whatever it might be, you want to own your own warehouse, your workshop or office or whatever it might be in a self-managed super fund, that can be a brilliant strategy because you've got money in there. Why not use it to own your own assets? Um, there are limits to how much. Super is the best thing since sliced bread. It's so tax effective. It's feathering your nest for your retirement. So because it's so good, the government's actually put limits on how much money you can put in there. And for your average Joe, it's it's not a, well, it's enough to get you to where you need to be to have it, have the good life in retirement. But a, a really effective way of getting extra in there is saying, well, I've got to pay rent for or mortgage payments to uh, have my own shop uh, to run my business. Why not own that as well? And I can sneak the rent in or, or whatever else it is into my super fund. And then all of a sudden at the end of um, uh, my retirement, um, I can... Uh, all the rent's gone to feather my own nest. I didn't have to pay nearly as much tax on it and I can sell the the, uh, the investment and it's completely capital gains tax-free. Absolutely brilliant. Now I'm going to hit you straight between the eyes. Uh-oh. Yes, you recently made a little acquisition <laughs> yourself and I alluded to that earlier. Tell the listeners about that, Peter. Yeah, well, it was a bit of a spontaneous one, which is probably not the best starting point, but um, I, I'm an advocate of property. I think it's a, a great way to go. And uh, with the, the counsel of a mate of mine, I um, we we found a, a property down in the country and it's pretty cheap. So, you know, it's a fair way out of Melbourne, but I just sort of had all the hallmarks of something that was going to go nuts. It's uh, halfway between the coast and a big uh, tourism area. It's on the main street of a, of a beautiful little town. Uh, it's facing the the park, the swimming pool, the tennis club, uh, and it just the, the the whole area had a, a vibrancy to it. So I've just recently bought a um, a shop slash warehouse um, in my self managed super fund. I may or may not use it for my own purpose at some stage, but I see that as a really good investment, and that's something I could only have done in a self managed super fund. And what did you pay? <laughs> uh, Seventy eight thousand, believe it or not. Can you believe that, friends? Seventy eight gram. Now, I mean, I. I love SMSFs myself and I've got one. Mm-hmm. And in fact, right now I'm working with one of my clients. This is a classic example where I'm looking at a particular property. Uh, now it's priced at $265,000, rents four fifty a week, mm-hmm. which is a great return. Like it's a gross return of 8.8%. It's, it's actually, it's a townhouse. There's eight in the block. The strata fee, 600 bucks a quarter. So uh, that nets it down to 7.9% less property management fees. I mean, really, when you've got money sitting in a bank account, what what is it, half a percent, yeah. if that? Oh, yeah. And for this, net 7.9, well, you know, it certainly beats uh, beats leaving your money in a bank, I reckon. Now, this is a leady question because I'm going to tell our <laughs> audience. I actually do know the answer, but right. I think it's a really great question and I'm going to cover it off anyway. There are certain properties, for example, that you can't hold. So can you share with us? an example of that. In a self-managed super fund? In a self-managed super fund. Yeah, well, you know what? You, you can pretty much own any property in a self-managed super fund. The only thing you can't do is you can't buy a residential property from yourself. Okay, but so. what about capital improving the asset? House and land package, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so typically there's some hard and fast rules around borrowing in self-managed super fund. So if you have borrowed money to buy a property in your self-managed super fund, basic rule of thumb, in fact, not the, ba- the, the full rule of thumb is don't touch it. Don't don't change it in any way. You're allowed to maintain it. You're allowed to repair it, but you ain't allowed to change it or improve it. So, for example, friends, if you'd bought a block of land mm-hmm. and you thought, ah, I'm now going to go and stick a house on it, 
That's a no-no in a self-managed super fund, correct, Peter? Yep. Yep. Because in the past, in my past life, what I used to do was actually sell and buy properties for people. They were actually house and land but they were a single contract. So they were compliant because you paid your 10% deposit, the uh, developer slash builder, they owned the costs along the way and then you paid the balance at settlement. No, it's horrifically complicated, but that's what they call a single acquirable asset held in a bare trust within a self-managed super fund trust structure using a limited recourse borrowing arrangement. Oh, my gosh. It gets out of hand how complicated it is, and that's where I've absolutely changed my whole approach. Say, so let's just, what do you want to achieve? Let me show you how it works. Yeah, LRBAs, I remember those. Mm -hmm. Now, you know my passion, Peter, is regional Football? property. Well it, is proper, well, it is football okay. and it's Collingwood Football Club. And, yeah. But for me personally, you absolutely know I'm passionate about regional property. It's affordable. It produces great rental returns. Prices are going through the roof, <laughs> which is good and bad in a way at the moment. Yeah. What are your thoughts about investing regionally? I mean, you've just bought something in your own SMSF regionally, but what do you think of it as an asset strategy for your clients? I'm a fan. Look, I, I am, but I'm going to actually retract that and go back to my basics and say I, I started from scratch. Everything's got to justify itself. So I don't start with any presumptions that regional is better than rural. I don't don't even presume that property is better than shares. But I, I think one of the beautiful silver linings that's come out of the horrendous year that we've all suffered and sadly many of us around the world are still going through it is that it, it's shown us that we can actually, we don't all have to be crowded into one little chicken coop in the city um, and we can spread our wings and live live the better life. I, I, you'll recollect uh, that I, I've just returned from living regionally myself. I'm a big fan of it. It's the best of all worlds. So I think people are be, already knew that, Phil, but they just thought I'd love to do it but I can't. My, where I earn my bread is in the city, where my friends are, where where life is, it's in the city so I'm staying there and I pay through the roof to, to do it. Um, whereas I just think to people, well, think about what's important to you. If, if you bought two beautiful houses, one in the city and you paid a million for it, or one in a beautiful regional town or rural setting and you paid half that for you, you all of a sudden you get to live the rest of your life it, both in beautiful houses but one with massive financial stress, strain, anxiety. Um, it's, it's, it's basically chaining you to a very austere lifestyle um, and it's not what you want to do. I, I just want to, within everyone's own bandwidths, live the life that you want and if you can do it at half price and still own something in a beautiful place to live that is actually giving you, based on your statistics that you've shown me, that's performing as well if not better, and I don't know whether that's going to last forever, but I think there's ebbs and flows in the oil market, but it's showing itself to be a, a really smart way to go at the moment. Absolutely. On all levels. You're preaching to the converted here, Peter. Now, I'm going to give you the floor. Okay. Final message. Any takeaways you want to leave our listeners with today? Just be open-minded and I, I want to keep going back to my great mantra, Phil, whatever you do, just don't do nothing. Talk to people. I, I don't care if it's, it's triggered by starting at a, at a barbecue or whatever or doing some Googling, whatever you need to do, start thinking about it and realising that if you don't get onto it now, times are ticking, snowball effects, compounding effects, all these things that I can show you a million different slides and graphs to prove to you that if you just get onto it sooner than later... Um, make it happen. It's There's no time like today. All the, the mantras I can throw at you, but get some good advice because you know, I, I was fascinated to read this report recently, Phil, that it, it was talking about finding 50 bucks on the, on the, on the footpath. If you, and, and this is a study of human psychology, if, if you walk along and you find a $50 note on the footpath, you pick it up, obviously you feel great. You think, wow, my lucky day. 
and they were able to measure how much that joy was. But then they also looked at it, well, what happens if it was your 50 bucks, it fell out of your pocket or your wallet while you were walking down the street and you lost 50 bucks? It has been proven definitively from a psychological perspective that people, the, the pain of losing 50 bucks far outweighs the joy of finding 50 bucks. So what, therefore, we are by nature reluctant to do things because of the fear of getting it wrong. So how do you solve that? You get good advice. Talk to people. It doesn't need to be me. I'd love it if it was, but just go out there and start the ball rolling, get some good advice. And this is where, like I said from the outset, Phil, I'm trying to change things by saying, let me show you the difference it can make to your world. It doesn't cost much. Spend a little bit of 90 minutes with me. Let's map out your before and after picture. Look at it and I want you to get excited. I want you to own the outcome. Be excited about what you can do for yourself and how you can get ahead and make it happen for a better life. Yeah, I think, folks... I couldn't have said it better myself, Peter. Now, really importantly, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, Mm -hmm. what's the best way? Website would be a good starting point and that's wealthhq, so W-E-L-T-H and then hq.com.au, so wealthhq.com.au. No A in the word wealth? No. No. Did I leave an A out? You left an A out. I'll roll the tape back. I know how to spell wealth wealthhq.com.au. Love it, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure unpacking this. We will do it again. I can promise you that, my friend. Look forward to it. Episode 30, folks. Please like, share and comment on the podcast. And in the meantime, have yourselves a great afternoon. Looking forward to the next podcast coming to you very soon. Bye for now.